It's been um, challenged. It could it could exactly, handle yeah. it could handle your challenge. I will yeah. The, a phrase <laughs> that I learned early on was that because I was a philosophy major in college, the truth warrants inspection. Hmm. And if this is true, then it can literally handle any of your questions. Yeah. If God is real, he can handle any question you throw at him. Yeah. He's he can handle it. Think about the profound influence of the Bible on the world, the way that it has shaped our culture. Whether you're a follower of Christ or not, it's probably a good idea that you know at least what it says. It's going to be about us taking and reading the Bible. All right. Welcome back to the Take and Read podcast. So stoked. (laughs) So excited because our very own Granger Smith is back in the studio. I call this a studio. It's my office. It's very much a studio. Yeah. Um, I guess for someone like you, you probably can studio anywhere. Yeah. Yeah. That term is so loose these days. Right. Back of the bus, hotel room, office (laughs) space. Bernie and I recorded at the T4G conference in my hotel room. There you go. We studioed out of the hotel room. Perfect. so fun man it's good to see you You too so in in those of you listening you might think every single day granger and i we get tacos and we just do life that would be cool and there was a season where that was pretty much the case i came into knowing granger during that covid season and we had a big ice storm here and so there was a lot of ways in which your life was was a much slower pace and so it was like the Lord just kind of protected our friendship and gave it a little space to incubate. And now you're you're going. Yes. And I go. And I mean, I was we're both. Say, let me just say, you haven't offered for tacos in a while. That's true. That's true. Usually so. I was like, hey, tacos. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, so we'll probably go get tacos next week. Let's do it. Okay. Yeah. Uh, how you been? Man, I've been good. So you've got good. a lot of plates spinning. Mm-hmm. I imagine there are multiple things kind of in motion in your world. And yeah, yeah. what what of those are kind of just taxing or just are, are drawing on you the most? I have um, touring. I have the, the radio show after, called After Midnight, mm-hmm. the podcast and the vlog, The Smiths. And then... Um, just finished an, a, a soundtrack album. Okay. And then just started a book. Man. So the book is the is number one out of all those things. Yeah. It's the number one priority of the um, in my work world. Um, touring, although, you know, we travel great distances, that's really when I have a lot of time. Yeah. Because we'll go to a city and we'll, we'll uh, go out and find a gym, work out, get a breakfast, and then I have all day until right. sound check and then meet and greet. I really have all day to do the other things. When you tour, are you, is your schedule such that you don't take multiple days to travel to the next location? Like you usually have a show that's a day away. So you get exactly. there that night, the next day you're going to. Yeah. A huge, a huge blessing for me in this part of my career is being able to fly to, oh, yeah. to fly out to the, wherever the buses are. So this past weekend, we flew out to Wichita, Kansas, okay. Chris and I that morning, played a show that night, 
then rode the bus to Omaha, Nebraska, played a show that night, rode the bus to outside of Minneapolis, and then got dropped off at the airport to fly home the next day. No kidding. So there's no travel days involved. Yeah. Which is very nice. That is cool. And then your crew will take all of the equipment to the next series of... Most of them fly too. Okay. And just the drivers will take the, the equipment. Yeah. Right on. And so this is tour season, or mm-hmm. is summer your busiest kind of... Yeah. June, July, August are typically the, the months where the fairs, street festivals, uh, country music festivals are happening all across the nation. And those are also the ones that we get paid the most on. Yeah. So the club dates are really just filler dates. Okay. So for you, I mean, one of the things that that we look at on this podcast is our time of the word. Mm. And we've talked about it before, about different seasons and cadences and rhythms around that. And so have you found kind of the sweet spot for you in a travel cycle like you do on tour and then you come home and it's different because for those that listen in, uh, Granger and I have talked before about, you know, he's got a a very defined plan, the McChain Bible reading plan, which which invites him to four chapters Mm -hmm. in the scriptures on a daily basis. And it's not something you just knock out in 12 to 15 minutes. I mean, you're one that likes to kind of marinate in that time. So how does that translate to tour schedule? Yeah, so it's still um, it's still my morning routine, and um, the the McShane plan at night it's different. I'll I will freestyle read at night. Uh, I love to read the Psalms before bed. Okay, yeah. But but uh, in the mornings that's my regimented McShane plan, and then I'm going to digest it, and then I'm going to post something from it on my social media. Mm-hmm. And part of the reason I post on social media with a small commentary is to keep me digging into it enough mm. with enough understanding that I'm going to take something out of those four. Sometimes it's so much I want to post and I have to pick one. Right. Sometimes it's like, you know, when we're in Leviticus and we're, <laughs> it's like, man, I got to dig, I got to dig for something, but there's something here. So I'll go yeah. back to the beginning of the four and then search again until I find something I need. And I try not to post the same thing from the last year that I posted because I'll highlight them. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but I, I still spend my morning times in the word, um, same cup of coffee. It's just a different location. When you're on the tour bus, like, do you have a little nook that you go to? Or? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So I have a little, a little table, little, little chair, and, and everyone else is sleeping. I'm guessing. Typically, everyone else is sleeping. Okay. Um, the only time that changes is if I have a really early flight, like five thirty flight, which in here in Georgetown I have to leave at three thirty. Gotcha. So I will have everything packed. I'll get up. I'll go straight to the airport. But then when I get to the airport, I start the McShane plan in the terminal. As you sit there and wait yes. for your flight. And then yeah. usually that continues on to the plane. And then I could usually have something finished and ready to post before we turn on, turn off our phones and take off. Right on. I think uh, something that that I like about kind of what you describe is your posting on a daily basis forces you to wrestle with there's something here yeah and for people to realize and for us to realize there's no sentence in this text that doesn't have profound meaning right and that that it is communication from the creator of the universe and it's all extremely intentional Mm. 
and to to force ourselves to take the time to wrestle with it all is intentional and has meaning there's something there's always something there so that's a great example i think for for all of us and it's super encouraging for me to wrestle with because you get into some interesting uh yeah passages yeah and, and it's important to note too i don't ever post john three sixteen or any of the very very popular verses mm-hmm. um, and, and you also i think i heard you one time say that you don't you're not beholden to maybe specific holidays or seasons. And I don't do that either. Correct. So like, let's say on Christmas morning, we're not going to tune in and see something about the virgin birth or something like, unless it just so happened to be in that text. Exactly. And that happened on Easter. There was actually a resurrection story uh, that Paul wrote that I posted. I don't remember what it was, but it was like, Oh, here's the, here's the cross. But, um, but yeah, I, I just stick with my plan. Yeah. And that way, um, it, it keeps it challenging for me, but I think it also, in a way, and then the first priority is to keep it challenging for me, but the, but also I think people get numb during a holiday of the same stuff. Yeah. And there's more to the gospel than the virgin birth and the resurrection. There's a lot of stuff in between that that's very important. Yeah. I'm looking forward to on Christmas morning seeing a post from you that says, <laughs> do not mix cloths in your garments. <laughs> <laughs> Leviticus, whatever. And I'm really like, uh, my boy right oh, there. There he is. <laughs> uh, but it, it, does, it does point to the need for us to engage in the whole counsel of Scripture. Right. And not, only, not to just go to passages that make us feel good. Mm. I think sometimes the temptation is we, we see this, this text as... Um, a pick-me-up, or I just need some inspiration for the day, and it certainly is inspiring. However, it teaches us how to be human. Yeah. Like, So when we get into the Psalms, or we get into Lamentations, or we get into the Proverbs, and, and we're reading pockets of this thing that we don't normally visit, and, and there aren't a lot of like heavy treads through it because everyone goes there, we get into those passages, there's something there. And it's teaching us how to be human, how to feel things, yeah. how to experience emotions and not to be ashamed of the various emotions we have, but realize we're broken. And so we need training on how to process through and experience even emotions. That's why I love the Psalms, because you, be, you may open it up one day and if you're on a plan and you're just reading the Psalms, you know, systematically, there's going to be a day where you're like, man, I'm feeling great. And it's like, woe is me. And you're like, whoa, whoa hey now. Yeah. And, and you're like, that doesn't really match my emotions or my mood, but to allow God's word to teach us yeah. at all times. Yeah. So. If, if, I, if I based my post on what I knew would be a popular post biblically, I would have a much higher engagement on my social media. Right. But I don't base it on that either. I don't base it on retweets or likes and in fact, a lot of times I'll know, man, this isn't going to get very good engagement. <laughs> and then sometimes I'll post something and it gets a lot of engagement. And I mm-hmm. knew it probably would. But what I'm doing is, and this might sound funny to a couple of listeners, but the way I look at it is I'm fishing for the elect. Okay. Every time I post. Yeah. I'm fishing for the, the people that are sleeping with their eyes closed, that this post may open their eyes. You know, it's... Uh we have in the 
the Gospel of Mark we've been going through, and we've encountered the parables. Mm. And there was a concept that's similar to that, that Jesus went, the, one of the reasons I think he uses parables and teaches that way is because he is, he is teaching and saying something that is deeply profound. But it, it one, depending on who's in the audience, it will be concealed for some and it will reveal something for others, mm. depending yep. on who they are. Yeah. That he is saying the same words and some people will go, man, that guy's crazy. Yeah. I don't know what that was about. That was weird. And others are going, oh, wow. I never thought about it this way. I must hear more. And so they're drawn to the teacher because of uh, of what's happening and what's churning and what the Spirit of God is doing in their heart. He's drawing some and others. It's just going right over their heads. Yeah. So interesting stuff. Yeah, good, good. Um, do you ever, do you, do you struggle with the, as you read, is it ever, okay, I need to find something here for the purpose of tweeting or sharing versus I'm just here to take in and just to to sit at his feet and then later you're thinking about it. Cause, and the reason why I ask mm-hmm. is because as a pastor, it can be very easy for me to kind of drift into this space of personal devotional time being something where I need to find something that I can then share with other people versus... I just need to be fed. So how do you? Good, that's do you, a great point. So yes, I I need to be fed every morning. So I'll read through my four chapters with that intent first. But then when I want to post, I go backwards. Right? Okay. So I'll read through the four, and then I'll go back and go. Okay. Now let's decompress this. Yeah. What's the What's a message I can grab from this? Yeah. Right on. Right on. Are you getting opportunities to preach when you travel? Is that a part of yeah, the touring schedule question now? Yeah, that seems to come up a lot. I, I'm, I'm writing this book right now, and so I have decided that until I finish the manuscript, uh-huh. I'm not going to preach. Because that's, for me, I'm not like you. It takes a lot of research and writing and mm. studying for one sermon for me. Yeah, buddy. Um, you could do it in six days. It takes me about <laughs> six weeks. So I need to finish this book and before I start writing another idea. Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. And uh, what's the progress on the book? How what's so this uh, this is um, the river story, our son. Yeah, and I am before I came here, I was halfway through chapter four, so that's that's moving pretty well. My their deadline yeah. they gave me was September, so I th- I think I'm gonna I think I'm gonna be done in July. Yeah, buddy. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I will say that you've given me kind of a, a claim to fame. I mean, <laughs> I've been, I've been in, you know, I've been a youth pastor. I've been a college pastor. I've been in pastoral ministry a lot. And so that involves me meeting with a lot of people. And so when you're, when a lot of your job is meeting with people and grabbing coffee with people or tacos with people, you hear a lot of excuses as to why somebody has to cancel on you. <laughs> I mean, I've heard all kinds of stuff, but it wasn't until our recent text messaging. So you and you were scheduled to come in a little bit earlier and record. Uh, and I get a text from you. Hey, man, I can't. I've got to be on GMA. And I'm like, what? I've never been <laughs> bumped 
by Good Morning America. <laughs> and I feel like, even though I wasn't on Good Morning America that day, I feel a little bit more important because of that. I don't know why. But the uh, the day will come when you cancel on Good Morning America because you're like, I'm, I got take a podcast. podcast. I got to take a podcast. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that will happen. Someday, someday. All right. Well, brother, we are here to read, to yeah. take and read the scriptures. We're in Mark chapter 7. And so uh, we've been making our way through it. Let me get to the right page here. All right. I'm in the English Standard Version or translation today. And you're uh, electronic, same. so you're in the same. Yep. You can go anywhere. You yep. can go original Hebrew, Greek, Aramaic, yeah, whatever. I wish. Um, but we are in a small little section here. Uh, and, and to kind of frame it or to, to bring some context to it, uh, Jesus has been challenging traditions quite a bit uh, as, as he's kind of going through his ministry. And one of the recent challenges has been around traditions and commandments and you know, the he's had to deal with some of these Pharisees and religious leaders about the traditions that they've been developing and that his disciples aren't following those, like washing their hands before they eat. And he kind of, in, in the last episode, he's talked about it's not what goes in, but what comes out of a person that defiles them. And he makes this kind of reference to when we eat and then we go to the bathroom. Like, you know, it's not what goes in, but what's out. And and he's he's indicating that there, there are ways in which they have set up these rules and traditions, and they've gotten so far from understanding what what God intends for humanity, and that they're so far from that. And so that's where we enter then this now this next scene. Okay, so we're in chapter 7, verse 24 through verse 30. And from there he arose and went away to the region of Tyre and Sidon. And he entered a house and did not want anyone to know, yet he could not be hidden. But immediately a woman whose little daughter had an unclean spirit heard of him and came and fell down at his feet. Now the woman was a Gentile, a Syrophoenician by birth, and she begged him to cast the demon out of her daughter. And he said to her, Let the children be fed first, for it is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. But she answered him, Yes, Lord, even the, yet even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. And he said to her, For this statement you may go your way. The demon has left your daughter. And she went home and found the child lying in bed and the demon gone. Bam. Hmm. All righty. So we need to wrestle with some of the, the details around this incident in order to understand what it says. So we've got a particular region they're in. What else do we see that we need to get clarity on to kind of understand this, the whole scene? Well, this is this is coming at a time before uh, the Gentiles were invited into the kingdom. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that won't happen. Even though the when you think back to the Abrahamic covenant mm-hmm. in Genesis, God says, "Through you, all the nations of the right. world will be blessed." 
So even from that first initial covenant, um, we we see that that's a part of God's game plan. However, that is very much not in play here. And it's not until Peter will receive a vision mm-hmm. and there'll be a centurion soldier that, you know, is a God-fearing man and Peter will get a vision, a dream about animals and a sheet being let down. He's like, you know, the Lord says, take and eat. And he's like, I can't, I, I can't eat anything that's not clean. And so, yeah, you're right. There's this, it's, it's predates that. And yet there's this sense in which that's a huge part of the theme here. Um, the region is going to be, uh, it's going to be a Gentile region, so Tyre and Sidon are coastal, and they're northern, so it's far. It's it's kind of a f- far away. It's still within the region of you know the the Holy Lands, but it's kind of um, north and west of where he had been. Um, yeah, it's interesting that he travels there, but he enters a house and doesn't want anyone to know he's in town. Mm-hmm. Part of the messianic secret. Yeah, and it's um, we're not sure why that's the case. Like uh, in this particular incident, there's a, most of the time when the messianic secret happens, he's performed a miracle, he's demonstrated authority and power over the demonic or over sickness, and somebody's healed or um, they've they're released from demonic oppression, and he says, "Now go to hell, no one." Mm-hmm. This one, he's like trying to come in and sneak into town and kind of not be known that he's there, and yet he's there. It's kind of like when you probably go to a restaurant and you're like, I just want to have a burger. I don't want to be Granger Smith right now. Do you ever have those instances where you're like, I'd prefer not to be Granger right now? <laughs> sure. Uh, that's usually with my kids. Okay. With my kids. Yeah. yeah. You're like, I just, I'm a dad right yep. now. Yep. Just let me be dad. Yep. So, you can you can probably relate to that tension. So, uh, yeah, he's there, and yet, uh, and there's that word again in verse 25. Immediately, that appears so often in Mark. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's so regular that it's immediately this, and immediately this, and immediately they went there. Immediately he said this. Immediately they did this. So we we continue that that cadence or that pace. And it seems like the the major tension is between her desire for her daughter to be healed, knowing there are probably some conventions that are being broken, and she's willing to do that and forego whatever kind of traditional, religious, formal conventions exist between the fact that she's a Gentile, he's a Jewish rabbi, that's probably, they don't mix, and he even kind of surprisingly presses you know her on this because other times somebody will come and they'll touch his garment and healing happens they'll say hey can you heal my daughter he'll go in he'll raise the daughter from the dead Mm. there's times where the demonstrated faith of the individual has made allowance for or or made opportunity for healing to occur and he'll say your faith has made you well right but here, there's great faith demonstrated, and yet he challenges her. Yeah. So I think we need to wrestle with that a little bit. Um, yeah, anything else we need to know about just the scene before we jump into what this means? 
mean, you got demon so possession. The um, the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. Is this is this part of the Mosaic law? Was that was it mentioned in Exodus? In in a one of the thousands of laws, was there something similar to, um, not taking the the bread and throwing it to the dogs? No, I think it's more of a um, a cultural okay component. Okay, yeah, it wouldn't be yeah within containing the law. It's a and it's yeah there. There's something about dogs in the yeah, so, Mosaic law that I just can't remember. Well, and there was a cultural component at that time where Gentiles were referred to as dogs, mm. which was a very, very, very derogatory term. Sure. Like this idea that you are, if you've ever been to Africa and seen dogs, like they just roam the streets and they are in many times a, a pestilence, right? There's just so many of them. They're wild and and they're dirty and they got the mange and there's fleas and ticks and disease. And so there's this sense in which if someone called you a dog, it was extremely derogatory. Sure. David mentions it in Psalms. And so it's interesting that Jesus makes this reference. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) It's like, what, what, what? Yeah. Like he is calling out a cultural... (laughs) <laughs> like reality not necessarily that he agrees with it but he's 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 drawing on some sort of cultural understanding that would have kind of pointed a fence or drawn like wait a minute why are you I've, I've got to do this what you know so yeah let's just jump into that yeah in context it could feel like if you take if you take the all four gospels and everything Jesus said you could easily see this as Jesus saying it's not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. Right. It's kind of a yeah. <laughs> a rhetorical <laughs> rhetorical and because he instantly says correct for this statement. Yeah. And and, and it's like you have answered correctly. Yeah, and I wonder I mean obviously it's intentional. Mm-hmm. Everything about what he says and does is intentional. And so you you kind of wonder why did he why did he put it that way? The other thing is that there is there's people with him. We know there's there's disciples with him. Mm-hmm. And probably Peter who then told Mark firsthand. Right. And a lot of times Jesus does things in front of Peter to show him something knowing that later Peter's going to feed the sheep later. Right. And I want you to remember this moment because this is how you're going to think. You're going to think like it's not right to take children's bread and throw it to the dogs and watch what I do with that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's interesting you bring that up because earlier in chapter seven, you see this issue with being defiled. Mm-hmm. And uh, there's a sense in which that that idea of eating things that are defiled and, and uncleanliness, that becomes something that if you, if you go look in, in Acts chapter 10, I believe, is where this plays out for Peter, where he is the one who is first kind of given awareness that Gentiles are no longer unclean. And so this becoming, like if Mark is truly the collection of Peter's preaching, then this is going to be something that shows up in in kind of what he recalls 
probably in, in the earthly ministry. And then guess who the guy that brings the message to the Gentiles is the guy standing in the room right next to Jesus during this moment. Yeah. So, um, you, yeah, it's, it's very interesting. And then you go back and another interesting component that would be fun for people to go read would be Galatians where Paul in his letter to the Galatians articulates confronting Peter to his face in public at one point. So you see conflict happen in the church. Two of the, the, the key leaders in the church at the time in the first century, he says, I confronted Peter to his face, is what he says, <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> because he had been, he had kind of lurched or, or, or kind of drifted back into some old habits about there were some that were Jewish Christians and then you had Gentile Christians, and he was showing favor to the Jewish Christians and kind of siding with them because they were putting pressure on him to, hey, they've got to maintain the law, right? They can't, they yeah. can't come in here and just go willy-nilly. Like, they've got to adhere to, and so there was that, that kind of Hellenistic or that um, kind of Judaizer, hey, you've got to convert to Judaism, and then you can be saved and be a Christian. And so Paul says, I confronted Peter to his face about that. There might be people listening right now, it occurred to me, that are wondering, what is a Gentile? Yeah. So a Gentile describes all of the people that are not Jewish, right? So you have within um, the history of the, the scriptures and the history of humanity, we, we recognize or God calls Abram, uh, and who is at that point, there aren't a particular people of God, but he calls Abram. And, and says, out of you, I'm going to make a people, a different people group. And, and so this is after the time of, of, um, of Noah and his sons and all of the different nations that begin to develop out of Adam and Eve and, you know, several generations later. And so then comes along Abram, who becomes Abraham. Uh, so father Abraham had many sons. Uh, and so the, the Abrahamic religions would be Judaism, um, Islam, and Christianity. And so those three religions kind of identify a heritage that relates back to Abraham. Until Charles Taze Russell and Joseph Smith. Yes, right. Yeah. Um, that's another podcast for another day. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, but yeah, so from that point on, you've got a people group that are specifically called God's chosen people or his covenant people, and those would become the Jews. So out of Abraham, then you have his son Isaac, then Jacob, then the 12 tribes or the 12 sons of Jacob, and that then forms the Jewish people or the nation of Israel. And so you know, many, many hundreds uh, of years later, you ha- then Jesus arrives on the scene and that people group resides primarily in Jerusalem, but has the, di- the diaspora has spread them out throughout the known world. But they're, they're kind of, their headquarters is in Jerusalem and that's where Jesus is eventually going to head. He's not there now. But yeah, so as Jesus being a Jewish rabbi, there's this idea that many of the promises in the Old Testament are made to God's people, his chosen people, the Jews, mm-hmm. the nation of Israel, um, or the Israelites. And so that's why there's then this kind of friction 
when Jesus is talking to this woman to say, look, I came for to fulfill the promises that God has made to his people. You're not one of those people. So I got to feed the children first. Mm-hmm. And she's like, well, let me take that analogy. But when when parents feed their kids, there's always crumbs fall to the table and the dog's there and they eat the crumbs. So I'll take the crumbs. <laughs> like mm-hmm. She's like, there's plenty. I'll, and I'm satisfied with just even a little bit. And then he's like, you got it. She's good. Demon's gone. He didn't say anything. He didn't abracadabra. I mean, he just, yep, you're good to go. Yeah. So we can compare this to many other parables of faith. And so what she said was acting in faith. It didn't, the, she was brilliant to say that the, that the children can eat the crumbs, uh, but, or the dogs could eat the, the children's crumbs, but, but what she was doing was showing her faith to Jesus that I believe you are who you say you are and that you can heal. Right. And he says, for this statement, you may go your way and your demon has left your daughter. We could also read that as, because of this statement, instead of the word for, in case that's confusing, for this statement, we could read it, because of this statement, mm-hmm. You may go on your way. The demon has left your daughter. Yeah, and he said in other parables or in other stories, he says similar things of because of your faith. Mm-hmm. And that's what your had. faith has made you. Well. Yeah. Right. So I think you're absolutely right to highlight that this interaction does a couple of things for the people there, the people present. You've got the disciples are with him. Whoever's house he's in is there. They would have been Jewish. And then you've got this woman, a Gentile woman who does not care about social convention. She comes in immediately and falls at his feet and begs. And the, she, the correct posture to your savior. Yeah. So immediately she is absolutely convinced that he can cast out the demons that are in her daughter. Yeah. And now she's pleading, will you, essentially. And she has, the, and this isn't the first time that this happens. The The time when the disciples come off the, um, the sea and they've dealt with the storm and immediately upon arrival, bam, they, a guy comes and is begging for help. Like, the times in which people approach Jesus that aren't the disciples? Like how many times are the disciples chilling with Jesus and somebody they don't know or somebody who is defiled, unclean, unfit, the wrong type of person has the absolute right posture Yeah, and says, I don't, I know this is against the rules, but please, like they're desperate. They got no other options. That's what we see here again. Yep. And the and the disciples witness this. They see this again. They're like, "What in the world is this woman doing?" Like, you can only imagine what they're thinking. They're like, "Okay, I don't think anyone saw us. I think we're good. We can lay low until Jesus wants to do whatever He wants to do here." Bang, 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 bang on the door. What? And this woman just rushes in, falls at his feet, and is begging, "Please." And he's like, "Wait a minute. 
I came to feed the kids first, the children. I don't, you don't take the bread and throw it to the dogs. And it's clearly a, you're a dog. Yeah. I'm here for the children. And she doesn't relent. She's not like, you're right, I shouldn't have come. No, there's something in her that's driving her that she's not going to take no. Yeah. What kind of faith is that? What kind of desperation is that? Those are the questions I have. Yeah. So once again, we could we could look at Jesus in a way when he says dogs as if he's looking out of the corner of his eye right at Peter. Like, <laughs> exactly. We can't we can't take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. And he kind of shoots a glance over at Peter in the room if you're imagining this as a movie. Right. And Peter's looking at him like, Yeah, absolutely. Sweet. Finally. You're, you're right, Lord. Gonna, you're right, Lord. He's gonna say no to somebody. Yeah. Sweet. Yeah. And then Jesus flips the table like he always does. And I think that this is so many of the things that he does as a takeaway to the disciples so that then we could see it in the epistles and the letters later as they bring Christianity to the world and to the Gentiles. We could see that Jesus did it for them. Jesus didn't write his own book. He, He didn't... He didn't say, here's what I want you to do and say uh, it specifically in the book. He said, here's what, here's what I'm going to do right now in this moment. Yeah. And then they took it away and gave it to the world. What we need to see from this passage is that we are this woman. Mm-hmm. And Jesus is showing the correct way to, to walk up to the throne of your Savior. Mm-hmm. And she doesn't say, can you help me with this demon? Can you give me some advice on how to get rid of this demon? Right. I have been, we've been working on this. Maybe you have some pointers on this demon. She falls on her face in a posture of, save me. I am not capable of doing this. So I give it to you, knowing that you can do it. I give it all to you. All of it. Take this from me. Take this burden from me. And Jesus says, that's the correct posture. Yeah. And he even challenges her. Yeah, but I shouldn't be doing this for you. She's like, even even the leftovers of what you could do yep. are more than enough for me. Yep. A crumb I'm good with. And he's like, you got it. You're good to go. And this would have, in line with the other things that have occurred in chapter seven, this would have been a kind of a, a deviation from convention, right? This is, this would have been, uh, what are you doing? And at this point, what we know is the disciples see this and they witness this. And so there's something about that. And there's also something within Mark's audience. So whoever Mark is writing this to, which historically and tradition says that Mark was originally written down and, and given to the church in Rome which would have been full of both Jews and Gentiles at that point. And so there's something about this that when, when Mark is, is making the argument that Jesus is the Christ, he is the Messiah, and that that, that salvation also includes the Gentiles. Yeah. Like there, there, is, there is something that this is now confronting some of the Jewish traditions as well. Yeah, and this story is for us. Yeah. Just as it was 2000 years ago. Yeah. And you could read this story for anyone listening and think to yourself or don't put yourself in it if it's if it's too uncomfortable. Put put anybody else in and say 
I'm losing my marriage. My marriage is falling apart. Yeah. So I'm gonna I'm gonna go to counseling. I'm gonna go to therapy. Uh, we're gonna we're gonna start going on a lot of date nights. Uh, we're gonna read some books together, and then lastly, we're gonna we're gonna pray about it. But the posture here is not that at all. Mm-hmm. It's it's on your feet, on your face, on your knees, saying, "God, save this marriage." Yeah, a heart that begs for help is a heart that one acknowledges helpless. Yeah. I'm helpless. I can't do this myself. I yeah. can't fix it. And I need somebody else to do it for me. So there's a humility. Yeah. And there's a faith. Yeah. There's a, I can't, but I believe you can. I believe the least of you can. Yes. Like, I believe the, the crumbs. crumbs of you can. And, and and when you say this is about us, like, the reality is we are dirty, mangy dogs. Yeah. Yeah, we're we're the dogs in this yeah. situation, yeah. and I'm not just saying just because we're Gentiles because we both are. Yeah, but the reality is when Paul says all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and no one seeks Him, no, not one. Yeah, that's us, man. That's yeah. that's where we are until the Lord interrupts us. Yep, that's us. And here you see, man, our our proper response to the recognition of our inability and our incapacity to fix our situation and fix ourselves is recognizing that and then falling at the feet of Jesus and begging, please help me. Yeah. And that's something that for you and I both, that has changed our lives and we've never recovered from that moment. Yeah. But it's still a daily, I've got to, I've got to come back to that realization. Okay. Yeah. Without him, I'm a dog. Yep. And I still do doggish things. Yep. Every day and I've I need his intervention. And I think I think that's why for me I have to start the day in God's word because my dogs are doggish thoughts. Yep. Left to myself, I'll do stupid things, I'll I'll think broken ways. And so I need his voice to speak into me from the get go. Yeah. And the longer you go without the word, the more doggish you're going to get, which is why I always say when I read the Bible in the morning, I do it because my life depends on it. Yeah. It's not because I'm interested in getting savvy with the word. It's because, oh God, I need this or I'm going to become a dog again. Yeah. And I don't want to be a dog. Yeah. I'm already too much of a dog already. Yeah. We should get t-shirts that just say, I'm just a dirty mangy dog. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) One could say I'm a selfish pig. The other one, I'm a mangy dog. All right, so as we wrestle with this, and and we already are kind of wrestling with this, but you know what this means in this moment and what this means for the audience of Mark is a challenge to some assumptions they had about their reality, about the way God is. And so I think for you and I, we've wrestled with that but I think people listening to this have to wrestle with what are the assumptions you're making about who God is, mm-hmm. what his disposition towards you is. Um, I'll get emails and I talk with people frequently that say, I have no problem with the way that God is talked about in the Bible. I have no problem with thinking that Jesus is real. What I wrestle with 
I don't think he can, like, how could he possibly love me? Mm. Because people know full well they're dogs. Mm. Mm. <laughs> they're far too mm. aware of how vile their thoughts, actions, deeds, how selfish they tend to be. And so people wrestle with, could God truly get past that mm. and love me? And what do you say? Well, I would put it this way. It, man, you're so, that was such a great point that we all know we're dogs, yeah. even if we pretend like we're not. So let's think about the, the Pharisee and the tax collector in Luke. Yeah. And which, which position do you want to take? Do you want to take the Pharisee who, who tithed and, and was such a good, such a quote, I'd love to put quotes around good, such a good man, a ch- good church going man, yeah. as we would say today. Yeah. Or do you want to be the tax collector, the despised tax collector who couldn't even lift his head to heaven? and pounded his chest and said, have mercy on me, a sinner. Because Jesus said he was the one justified. Yeah. So we know the heart of God. We know how God looks at us. And if we understand our depravity and our wretchedness, if we could understand that, then we could know that we need, the only answer for us is to fall down at our feet, or fall down at his feet and beg for mercy. And that... That is what is what where we really feel the love of God. Yeah, we. If you don't wrestle with how broken you are, just think to the extent of what did God have to do to overcome the gap between us and Him? How much brokenness? Well, He had to take on flesh, live a perfect life, and kill his own son Mm -hmm. that's what it costs that's how bad it was Mm -hmm. and if you wonder how much god loves you just consider the fact that he did it yeah it costs that much and he did it which means you're totally worth it yeah and he delights in you yeah (laughs) yeah you yourself are worthless but to God, you're infinitely valuable. Yeah. So valuable that he slayed his own son for you. Yeah. Now, we can't possibly start to understand the depth of that kind of love, but that is the definition of love. Yeah. Um, yeah, Dietrich Bonhoeffer in The Cost of Discipleship, he, he talks about cheap grace and costly mm-hmm. grace. And, and the idea of grace being a, a theological term that references um, unmerited or unearned favor. So when someone gives you something that you you didn't earn, you don't deserve it, they just they just give it to you freely. And that, that we talk about salvation is a gift of grace, right? It's, it's God's gift to us. We can't earn it. We can't secure it. And there's a great comfort in that because we if we didn't earn it, we can't lose it. Right, so there's there's some beauty and some security in that, but some people will take that and take license with it and go, "Sweet, I got a blank check. God's grace is good. He paid. You know, it's it's all good." And so they go and live their reckless life, banking on and presuming upon the Lord's kindness. And and Bonhoeffer says it's not 
it's not that's cheap grace that's grace that minimizes how much it cost but costly grace realizes that god it cost him his son to get you out of hawk mm. to deliver you from bondage to slavery it cost him his son so don't ever minimize what this is yes it's free to you but it's not free it yeah. cost god his son Whew, heavy stuff i've been i've been wrestling for hours today on a uh, text thread with a buddy okay. with a buddy of mine that is um struggling with this but it just came out of the blue and i'm certain he doesn't listen to this podcast but uh it came out of the blue he said he said how did you get so close to god hmm. that was his first question it just kind of caught me off guard yeah and i thought here we go here we go he it's been laid upon his heart hmm. to ask me this question so we went for literally until i walked in here for we've been going back and forth for hours wow on on this and I, and, I, and at first i said well we're going to have to take a fishing trip and i'll explain yeah. that but then he kept pushing he wanted to know right now hmm Something's stirring. Something's happening in his world. Do yeah. you have any idea what's... No, I don't. Okay. I don't. Yeah. Man, I'll be praying for you. But it's it's understanding that. It's understanding the what happened at the cross for sinners because we couldn't do it ourselves. Mm -hmm. And that's what I was trying to explain to him is that you can't do good enough for God. You yeah. never will. You're never going to get the crumbs. Yeah. But by something that you do. That's why the cross is so valuable. Yeah. And uh, you minimize that cross if you try anything to get to God yourself. Yeah, you uh, you cheapen it or you you devalue it. Yeah. For sure. Well, man, good word today. <laughs> yeah. Good word. If you are uh, listening today and anything that, that either Granger or I brought up, please email um, I love to get emails. I love to interact. Um, there are times sometimes when somebody will email and I'll be able to get a quick response back. A couple of times I've had people email in and it's it requires a conversation. And so I've been able to uh, engage with people uh, over the phone or Zoom. And so if, if things are coming out in this podcast as you're listening to this out there, please uh, email me, takeandreadpodcast at gmail.com. If you have questions for Granger, you can probably find him uh, through any social yeah. media avenue. Or you can email me, and I'll make sure that he gets uh, the question. But Can I read something while, before we yeah. wrap this up um, from a text message that he told me today that I think is very re relevant to Take and Read Podcast? Yeah. He said... Um, first of all, he said, you need to write a book about understanding scripture. You may not realize it, but people just don't get it. It's gibberish. <laughs> and he said, I need to figure out how to read and not lose track of what I'm reading in five minutes. So I think that's very relevant to this podcast and people, yeah. there might be people that have made it all the way to the end of this. And that's what they're thinking. Like, yeah. I'm just kind of entertained by these guys, but the Bible, it's gibberish. Yeah. It doesn't make any sense. I want to tell you. First of all, I want to validate what you're saying because what you're saying is biblical, mm -hmm. that you are blinded until the veil is pulled. Right. And that this seems like foolishness for the lost. And so, first of all, it's a great start because now you're questioning the Bible, you're wanting to get into it, but you don't understand it. Well, 
you're you're the same place that everyone started with the Bible, right? And that itself is biblical. And so, what would you say, Pastor Chad, if 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 someone said, "I don't know where to start. I don't mm-hmm. understand. It's gibberish. Um, I want to I want to read for more than five minutes, yeah. and get something out of it." Yeah. Uh, well, I recently preached a sermon on that. Good. I may I may include that as a, a special episode here on the podcast one of these days. Uh, and I've talked about it with different guests on here, but I think starting uh, with a a realistic amount, so you don't want to spend an hour in something that's just completely confusing yeah. and overwhelming. So just like working out, you don't go out and say, you know what, it's time for me to get fit. I'm going to go run a marathon. You just don't do that. You'll you probably won't finish and you'll be so overwhelmed and burned out that you won't want to do it again. So you've got to start, start small. Uh, I would definitely say start in the new Testament Mm -hmm. is where I would encourage people to go, go to one of the gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John here. We're going through Mark. Uh, and I chose Mark because I think it's a great starting point. It is the earliest account we have of the life and ministry of Jesus. And it's also very fast paced. We reference at the beginning of the podcast how often the word immediately. So it's very quick in the way that it goes through and, and there's a lot of action. But uh, start with a small section and just read through that and ask a few questions. I would say journal, have a notebook of some sort with you. And what we do on this podcast is we wrestle with what does it say? So who, what, where, when, and you know what you know what's the the region all of those is you kind of do some investigative work then you wrestle with what does this mean to the people that are there in this story what's the why is this passage of scripture even here what's it saying who is it challenging who's it confronting who's it affirming uh who yeah all of that and then we wrestle with well the significance is for me when i come to this text how do i experience the meaning that's there for the original audience. And that's where we, you and I wrestled with today. Like, look, we're dogs. That's the significance here is we're that Syrophoenician woman. Yeah. And her response was affirmed by Jesus, a response of faith and persistence. She was persistent. She wasn't going to be dissuaded by, he's kind of like, well, I shouldn't because I need to take care of these other people first. And she's like, I'll take whatever spills over. And so there's that persistence and that faith that we see there. And so that's where we go, okay, that's something I go, now that's significant for me in the way that I approach the Lord. Faith and persistence, expectance of his love and kindness and goodness, and, and that even a little bit is more than I can handle. So I'm good, I'm, and he's all satisfying. Yeah. So those three categories, I write down, I would encourage people to write down what this what this makes you know. So what does this passage say about the nature of God? What's it say about the nature of humanity and the nature about the world I live in? So what does this make clear? And then write down things you're like, I don't know what that means. I don't know what that means. I don't know what that means. And then ask somebody, find somebody, whether it's email me and go, okay, I did what you said, Pastor Chad. I did what you said, Granger. I came up with these three. Where's Tyre and Sidon today? Where, where, you know, maybe there's just random questions, but track in your journal and keep a notebook with you. That makes it a little stickier every time you spend time with it. If you do it in the morning and you go, I just wake up, I'm groggy, I'm tired, I, I just can't track, choose a different time of the day. Yeah. Find a different place to do it. 
maybe you go and you do a workout first and it gets the blood flowing and then you sit down with it. Like figure out your own timing around when you can be most attentive. And yeah. So to recap what you said, start small. Yeah. Uh, even if it's just a paragraph, mm-hmm. one paragraph, start very small. Uh, find out who in the New Testament, mm-hmm. one of the Gospels. That's where I'd start. The Gospels guys are not in order. So you could read any of those yep. out of order. It does not matter. And then find out who's writing it, Yep. where they're writing it, why they were writing it, realize they were killed for writing it. Mm-hmm. Who their audience is. Who their audience primarily. is. Primarily, yeah. And then, and then think about, uh, here's a big question for you. Think about why this, this meant so much to them that they died for it mm-hmm. and why it has meant so much to people for 2,000 years. Mm-hmm. Maybe this should be a, a pretty important thing for me to read too. Yeah. Start there. Yeah. And let God fill in the blanks. Yeah. And I would say there's there's some great resources out there too. If you're brand new and you, you don't have a a church family or something like that, I would say get into a church family. Even if you're not a believer, go hang out with some Christians and see what they think about the Bible and bring your questions to them. There's great study Bibles out there that will give some footnotes and some yeah. some of the stuff that we talk about here or you'll find a lot of those notes and comments in the section uh, at the bottom of the page or the side column or whatever. So it's a good study Bible. For the skeptics, wrestle with this. Yeah. Challenge it. Yeah. It's been um, challenged. It can, it can exactly, handle, yeah. it can handle your challenge. I will, yeah. The, a phrase <laughs> that I learned early on was that, because I was a philosophy major in college, the truth warrants inspection. Hmm. And if this is true then it can literally handle any of your questions. Yeah. If God is real, he can handle any question you throw at him. Yeah. He's he can handle it. And if something claims to be true and under inspection it fails, well then it's not true. Yeah. So the truth warrants inspection and can uphold it or or stand up to it. So, absolutely. I would just keep this going if if you keep me on, so I'll just so I'll just stop and let you end the podcast. Well, I'll just keep we're going to have more episodes then. Okay. We're going to get tacos next week. Yep. And uh, then you'll be back here frequently. Um, yeah. yeah. The Bible is not a house of cards. Challenge it. You skeptics out there, challenge it. Yeah. Um, dig into it. If you find a flaw with it, call me and Chad. You'd be the first one in 2,000 years. But, you know, kudos to you. If you can find something, call us up yeah. and uh, we'll get you on the podcast. Yeah, there's a lot of times people will, will find inconsistencies or the perceived inconsistencies or perceived uh, faults with it. Um, but a lot of times that just comes down to maybe not a full understanding of context. Exactly. Or, exactly. You know, but yeah, Granger, love you, man. Love you, brother. Yeah, so glad to have you here <laughs> and uh, so glad to uh, have been in Chapter 7 with you and look forward to future times that we get together Uh, for those are out there uh, remember take and read whoever you are wherever you are access to the bible is is more available than it ever has been in history so go take and read peace out